0: Welcome to the Age Reversing Blueprint Podcast, where we discuss tools and tips to help you reverse your age
1: naturally. The COM gene's job when it comes to mood and behavior is its management of dopamine, right? And dopamine is the pleasure neurotransmitter. And so when you have a slow version of your COM gene, meaning your COM gene produces an enzyme that doesn't work as fast, then dopamine tends to stay longer in your brain. And that can lead When it's happiness, it leads to really powerful, happy response, pleasurable response. You're a person who sinks your teeth into things you enjoy. So if you really like cheesecake, boy, do you like cheesecake. And if you like business, boy, are you invested in your business? You really take what you enjoy to heart. But the flip side of it is as you have high highs, you also have low lows, like your valleys are also pretty deep. And so when you get into a rut, you get really anxious about things. And it's hard for you to come out of that rut because you think about all the different hypothetical ways a conversation could have gone. You get really self conscious. You worry a lot more. Um, so, individuals with a slow comp generally tend to have that more anxious experience. Be joined by my next guest, Harris Kahn. He is the co founder of the DNA
0: company, he holds a Bachelor of Science in honors biomedical science from the University of Waterloo. And after completing his undergraduate studies, he pursued his postgraduate studies in pharmaceutical research and development before gaining employment at the Apotex Canada's largest gener- gener- generic pharmaceutical company in the formulations development department. Uh, he also currently serves as the director of product development, where he oversees the entire lifestyle, uh, life cycle, sorry, of the DNA companies suites of products and services so harris thank you so much for being here today
1: thank you dr rosen it's a pleasure to be on here and to chat with you uh today here
0: yeah listen i want to kind of go into your background so here you are going from one extreme to the next in a sense right using the same information from from one paradigm to the next meaning pharmaceutical research and now you've pivoted to almost the antithesis of that in terms of what can we do behaviorally and lifestyle wise, along with understanding your genetics, um, maybe explain how they're connected, because a lot of people that would be listening to this would, would un- wouldn't understand how there would be a connection, but absolutely there is. Why don't you explain your your journey for the listeners?
1: Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I started, you know, I was young and so-called naive when I when I graduated, uh, I was a fresh graduate, still wet behind the ears, so to speak, and I really wanted to uh, make an impact in healthcare, right? And so, when you're younger, you know, you look around the world, you see that the the biggest movers and shakers in healthcare is pharma, and so you think, well, if I get involved in pharmaceuticals, I'll be involved in you know building life-saving drugs. And you know, for a time, I was doing that. I was working uh, at Apotex. We were building billion-dollar drugs. We were testing them. But I quickly realized that, you know, especially in the West and especially, you know, in North America, um, the approach to healthcare, the standard approach to healthcare is more about sick care, right? It's more about management and, and sickness. So, how do we manage the symptoms of sick people <clears throat> or how do we help sick people? And I realized, you know, and that For thousands and thousands of years, humankind is, has always had an, a preventative model. So you, you have to work to stay healthy. And then obviously all this modern technology, we sit on our asses for eight hours a day. Uh, we eat horribly. We have horrible environments, horrible lifestyles. We're burnt out. Um, so we get sick very, very fast. And what I wanted to do is not really be involved in sick care and helping people who are already sick. I wanted to go way back and help healthy people stay healthy. Uh, and so that kind of, you know, I started looking around to see what was out there, and I happened to meet um, Dr. Mansoor, who was the kind of creator of this fantastic test, um, this, this genetic test that we came across, and we quickly learned that if we harness the power of our DNA, which is the most objectively unique and individualized things about ourselves, we can better build a personalized approach to our healthcare, our health and wellness that's not relying upon what I'm learning on Google or looking at Instagram or listening to doctors on TV. It's personalized and unique to me as an individual. Uh, So that to me really spoke volumes about, you know, how we can really truly help innovate healthcare by helping every individual take power, take back power of their own health and wellness and build that personalized approach to optimal longevity and health and wellness.
0: Wow, that's interesting story. So there wasn't really a pivotal time where you said, hey, like, I'm not getting satisfaction out of this, or I don't feel like I'm getting upstream enough, or I'm not actually addressing the root cause. Like, was
1: there some kind of trigger for that, that transition? Yeah, so just exactly to your point. So I'd been working for a number of years. And I kept looking at, you know, at how you know these companies were making money. And a lot of it had to do with you know competing against patents for drugs and, and and getting into legal issues and and you know these billion dollar drugs stuff like lipitor and metformin all these popular drugs these are management drugs and i said well i don't want to i don't want to give people things to manage their cholesterol i want them to not have high cholesterol same with diabetes these are chronic diseases if you approach them right a shouldn't happen but if they happen you can reverse them right it's not like you're stuck with high cholesterol for the rest of your life. Now it'll take you some time, some commitment, some effort, but you can reverse things like diabetes, type two diabetes. You can reverse things like high cholesterol. Uh, you can reverse things like obesity. You just have to have that support and guidance, right? So exactly to your point, I realized that a, we could do, use genetics to personalize that approach. And then the B, which was the biggest thing is how do we build those behavioral change mechanisms to help people achieve a sense of, you know, changing their life to support healthier outcomes, right? So not like temporary diets and temporary supplements, but rather changing the it's pivoting their entire it's like a paradigm shift, go from, I'm a person who does dieting, to I'm a person that eats this way, and this is the way I eat. So there's no temporary nature attached to it.
0: Yeah. And I think the B part is really important is A, understand the lay of the land or the blueprint, but the B part is actually developing habits and behaviors that are easy to implement. And you're not browbeat with the science per se, and you actually have the the effect, which is what's so unique about the DNA company, which I think is great. But just rewinding a little bit back further, I I just read a post earlier today, actually, which says it's, it's a shame that our government and our FDA is more concerned about pleasing or helping and working along with the pharmaceutical industry than it is public health. And I think it's it's gotten into that full swing of public health and prevention and understanding our, our lifestyle choices and, and everything that encompasses health from the psychological to the physical, to the emotional, to the spiritual is really lost with with focusing on a, on a one drug, one cure type of outdated model of, of what we call like medicine 1.0, right? Where 1.0 was the, the acute based take this for that type of thing. But now we have just a conglomerate of stressors, whether it's the news or what's going on in the world or EMFs or pollutants or pesticides or sprays or chemicals or all of the above it's outdated. So I guess the, the, the transition question is, what I think is so amazing about the genetics is that a lot of the pharmaceutical companies and the research that was done by, by that industry sort of paved the way for the nutrigenomic component where the cofactors and things that are inhibited by certain things and how the drug mechanistically works maybe speak a little bit of that in terms of how that information paved the way but the emphasis is is in terms of supporting versus blocking right because that's typically what the medication does how can i block this pathway versus the holistic approach of how can we support this pathway does that make sense
1: yeah and i think that that comes down to you know, when people first start dabbling in genetic testing and getting involved in genes, they think that, oh, genes are these like magical little things in my body that I have to either block and not make them work so I can protect myself. And the reality is in some cases, yes, it's important to block gene activity for whatever reason. There could be a mutation, there could be a specific cancer situation where you do need to, you know, really uh, block genetic activity. But I think when it comes to genetic support, the important thing to stress is it's not about how do I upregulate or downregulate a single gene? Like, how do I slow down or speed up one gene? Rather, what does this gene do in my body? That's step one. Like, where is its function? And once I understand the function, then I look at all the cursory outcomes related to that function, right? Because I don't want to slow a gene down thinking I'm solving one problem, but slowing down that gene causes three other problems. Right. And that kind of siloed individual uh, myopic approach is what a lot of these companies have started to promote. Right. So you'll get a genetic report from most reports and they'll say, oh, you've got this version of this gene. You should do this to slow it down so that you reduce your risk of this. But it's like but that's not the purpose of that gene. Like there's many other things that gene does. You don't want to just go around and play around with slowing down and speeding up genes or gene expression. Um so the most important thing is understanding the impact of that gene on the outcomes you're trying to address so a really good example and i you know and i know you're you're an expert on this you deal with so many people like this you know when we talk about burnout there's many factors that influence burnout right uh, there's genes that play a very strong role in burnout but slowing down or speeding up those genes isn't going to just solve the burnout problem you're not just going to wake up one day and be free of burnout rather once you understand the impact of that gene on burnout, like what is it contributing to, then you start to look at all the other things that you can do to support the function of that gene, right? So a really great example is um, there's a gene in your body called adra 2 b adra A-D-R-A-2-B, that manages noradrenaline function. Now, noradrenaline is your fight or flight neurotransmitter. And individuals who have a partial deletion in their adra 2 b gene, tend to, be, uh, tend to have a longer emotional experience. In other words, they have emotional memory imprint. Their noradrenaline receptor stays on for a longer period of time, so they have hypersensitivity. And over time, this continued um, presence of being in that hypersensitive mode can lead to burnout, right? Now, if I try to go and play around with that gene, that's not going to solve the burnout problem. Rather, once I know that I'm a person that's more likely to be hypersensitive, I have to look at my lifestyle first and figure out what's going on in my lifestyle that's driving me into hypersensitivity. Like maybe it's a toxic relationship. Maybe it's my addiction to video games. Maybe it's like, you know, my uncontrollable eating habits that's sending me into hypersensitivity. It's not necessarily about the gene. The gene is just laying down the predisposition. It's kind of just identifying that this is who you are. The outcome and the solutions are as individual as you are, meaning it has to come down to you. We got to look at your whole life and figure out the genes simply give us the guidance, right? Sometimes we will help you with the gene expression, but most of the time, it's about knowing how the gene impacts your health and wellness, and then figuring out what solutions are going to work for you. Yeah, I mean,
0: that's really, really eloquently stated, especially I look at it as like the pharmaceutical model, and there's a time and a place for sure for it. Um, But I, I think it is that reductionistic approach of, of impact the gene and expect the result to ensue. And unfortunately, with the holistic functional world, you have the greenwashing of the same premise, right, in terms of, well, instead of giving you a pharmaceutical I'll I'll do it in terms of a nutrient and expect the same one reductionistic approach. So I think that's interesting to see the evolution of genomics to functional genomics to, or genetics to functional genomics to actually lifestyle based individualized care, which you just spoke of in terms of, okay, if we understand. how that gene works and what it does and when it is either acting too quickly or too slowly these tendencies will ensue and and then that's where the doctor part comes in too right because you want to ask the patient like hey does this land on you are you the type of person who is hypersensitive? Do you have a tendency for anxiety? Or do you have a tendency to ruminate and not be able to turn things off and constantly think about things? So then once you do understand the gene, okay, well, this gene is probably relevant then. Right. And that's where it gets really interesting, too, because it's not an isolation of a gene. It's upstream genes that impact the, the nutrients that bring to that. It's like an assembly line. Right. And yeah. one of the analogies I use Harris all the time for people is like contingencies. I once had a client who was uh, a pilot and i was explaining the contingencies this gene supports that gene it helps make the cofactor so that that gene can work effectively and even if there isn't a mutation or slow down process in the gene that it goes to environmentally it could be slowed as well and then it starts to becoming like oh my gosh like he says it's kind of like flying a plane like when this system fails then this system kicks in and then when th- if that system fails this system kicks in so you have all these contingencies so Maybe speak about that in terms of, you know, the the one gene uh, approach where someone looks at the BRCA gene and they say, oh, I have an increased... I have to, you know, be concerned about breast cancer because of that, or especially APO gene Mm -hmm. in terms of it's it's correlative of having a higher incidence or chance of having Alzheimer's, but it's not causative. Mm -hmm. And I guess, I I guess the question is, speak of the evolution that you're seeing, where now it goes from the greenwashing of, not just giving you a pill for the ill, but giving you a supplement for the ill and not getting it to improve it to now understanding that it's not a one. I mean, you kind of talked about it earlier, but maybe emphasize it a little bit further in terms of how does the DNA company organize the different sections so that you have a workable sort of game card, as you will, or report card or audit, as you do, how has that evolved? And how have you guys organized that to deliver, um, I guess, customized, individualized recommendations? Kasif Khan has published his DNA way um, book. And it really is a masterpiece in terms of explaining to you the different areas that the DNA company uh, evaluates your genes from your mood and behavior, your diet and your nutrition, your sleep, your cardiovascular health, your fitness hormone and body type health, how you detox your immune system, inflammation and longevity. So if you are interested in getting your own genes evaluated, then just make sure you click on the link below or you scan your barcode to take you directly to the checkout site. And that way you can start to empower yourself to get your health back. So let's get back to the interview with Harris.
1: Thanks. Right, right, yeah. So you touched on a lot of important points there. So, um, I'll, I'll take some time to kind of explain that approach. So the first thing I always love is, you know, uh, so from time to time I'll meet someone who says, "Oh, you know, I've got the BRCA gene, so I'm in trouble." And I'll, I'll start by saying, "Yes, I have the BRCA gene as well. We all do. In fact, if we didn't have the BRCA gene, we'd all be dead." Uh, the BRCA gene um, produces the BRCA enzyme. That enzyme's function is essentially repair. Right. So the best way. Uh, to describe it in layman terms is your your BRCA gene is like the fire truck and the fire truck's job is to put out fires that are happening in the body Um, but what people are saying when they say I have the BRCA gene is they have a mutation in the BRCA gene and the mutation can be described as your fire truck doesn't have wheels so if your fire truck doesn't have wheels it can't do its job of driving to the area of the fire and putting out the fires right but that begs the question what started the fire? And that's what people don't ask. It's your risk of breast cancer when you have a BRCA mutation increases because you can't deal with the fires that are happening in your body. And that fire is described as inflammation. There's some sort of chronic cellular inflammation or cellular replication that's happening. Now, if we start to do a little bit more digging, we find out that in some cases, the fire is started by estrogen metabolites, right? Estrogen metabolites are produced when estrogen is broken down by the body, um, and there's two or three major metabolites that estrogen is broken into: two hydroxy, four hydroxy, and 16 alpha hydroxy estrogen. The latter two, four hydroxy and 16 alpha hydroxy, are inflammatory toxins because when they break down, they create quinones and, and free radicals. Both of these are inflammatory byproducts. Um, and so are we then able to understand does a person have a higher propensity to produce a certain type of estrogen metabolite that could be inflammatory? Yes. But here's the important thing. If I were to look at the gene that determines how much estrogen metabolite for hydroxyestrogen you produce just by itself, and I saw that I was producing the fast version, meaning I was producing a lot of estrogen metabolites, I get worried. Cause I'm only looking at one gene, but that's not how the body works. The body doesn't work in one gene action outcome, you know, approach. It's very functional. Let's look at what's happening upstream. Well, in order to produce a lot of estrogen metabolites, you have to first be producing a lot of estrogen because if you don't have a lot of estrogen, even if you have a fast gene, you're not producing as many estrogen metabolites. So that's the, let's look up and we see, hold on, you're actually pretty slow at producing estrogen. Okay, that's the first safety thing. But then in order to produce estrogen, you have to be producing testosterone because no estrogen molecule is made in your body without being made from testosterone. And we look further and we say, hold on a second. You're also not producing a lot of testosterone because your conversion of progesterone to testosterone is slow. So all of a sudden, what initially would have been a scary thing, oh, it looks like I have a fast gene for estrogen metabolite production, which is dangerous to me. It's all tempered because I'm not producing a lot of estrogens and I'm not producing a lot of testosterone. So relatively, I'm actually producing low levels of estrogen metabolites. And that's the important thing is knowing what's happening upstream, as you mentioned. Now, the second thing is downstream. Even if I'm producing a lot of estrogen metabolites, how's my detox, like how are my protective processes like glutathionization, like antioxidation, if they're, if they're optimal, if they're working at the speed they need to be, then my risk is reduced even further. So now you can see how I went from initially just looking at one gene and freaking out to then looking at the entire upstream and downstream process and thinking, oh, it's just that one gene that's fast, but everything else is tempered. So I actually don't have as big of a risk as I thought I did, right? Then my approach to manage any existing metabolites is different. Maybe I don't need to take a giant supplement of DIM or some sort of estrogen molecule. I just need to eat more broccoli, that's easy. Like, I'll just warm up a bowl of broccoli every other day. And that'll be manage- that'll be enough for my body, right? So that's the important thing is, once you know that entire process, you don't have to feel like you have to take a supplement or a pill or something crazy, you can simply make simple tweaks to your lifestyle, and that'll be enough protection for you.
0: Yeah, no, know. Awesome. Awesome answer. And I remember in our first interview, we were talking about the analogy and I love that analogy. And so some of the, the other genomics that I've learned about too are sort of like the fire department signaling the fire truck to go to the scene and and that also begs the question as well. Like you, you call you mentioned tempered. I think that's a great word. I I have mentioned sort of similar in terms of contingencies or working along together, where let's say like that your nerf two and keep one are the fire department that senses the smoke, gets the call, signals the ambulance to go to the scene, but it doesn't have tires, so it can't go there, or it's not able to turn on the fire hose, it's kind of sitting there, just not really releasing the hounds, if you will. And then so, but, but to your point, it really matters as to, okay, what's the end result here? Is that estrogen 4-OH pathway indeed upregulated? And are you having a lot of quinones or DNA damage to have to worry about in the first place or not? So I, I love that idea in terms of how you suggest like okay let's let's hold our horses let's understand like how it's playing out and then ultimately, Mrs. Jones, what's your biggest challenge? What are your main concerns? And then let's see how this is involved in that. So that's where you have not just hormone uh, health and, and um, fitness, but you also have cardiovascular and mood behavior and immunity. So how, how would that play in? Let's say, okay, now just following this case study, this person does have um, a, a quick uh conversion into 4OH, but then they have these tempered things that impact how much is actually playing out. Um, Let's follow that through. Okay. Then they get this report card. How does it work with the DNA company? What are the other variables or sections that are looked at so that you finally say, okay, I know this is confusing. and, And maybe the listeners that are listening to this are thinking, wow, this is over my head, or I don't really understand. We want you to understand that the DNA company and, and functional genomics and individualized medicine, if you will, it makes it actionable for you to understand these tiny little habits and behaviors that you're doing every day are what are addressing this complicated information. But what are the other areas that you, you educate your, your people that get the testing in, in other areas?
1: Yeah. So um, it's a great question. I know, you know, a lot of people, they're always a little bit anxious to get their DNA tested. They don't know what they're going to find out. Uh, So the first thing is we're not a diagnostic test, right? So we're not going to tell you you have cancer or you're going to die of a heart attack or anything like that. We're not diagnostic in nature. What we are is we're associative, association based. And what that means is what we're looking at is what is the impact of these functional genes, these genes that have a role in your body on your lifestyle your diet your nutrition your you know important things like sleep and hormones so that you have a better idea of the potential risks that could happen if you continue abusing your lifestyle or not living the way you're or eating the way you're supposed to so we break them down to six systems we believe that these six systems provide a 360 degree view of your health and wellness so we look at mood and behavior so that's Understanding your response to pleasure, sadness, anxiety, depression, addiction, all of these things that are related with your mental health, and how genes influence those, those outcomes, we then look at your cardiovascular health. And when we when we say cardiovascular health, what we're looking at is, what is your ability to manage inflammation at the cardiovascular level, that's the important thing, like, how do you deal with any inflammatory toxin, which could be uh, smoke, you know, cigarette smoke, pollution, mold, Um, estrogen metabolites internally, free radicals, any kind of toxin, uh, infections, viral infections, et cetera. Um, So that's cardiovascular, looking at how it impacts your cardiovascular profile. Thirdly, we look at immunity, like your anti-inflammatory profile. That's huge. We want to know that at the cellular level, how well do you resist and break down inflammation before it can impact you? Uh, We look at fitness and hormones. A lot of people ask me the same question. I want to put on more muscle, I want to lose weight, I want to like, look big. Hormones play an important role in that your relationship with testosterone and estrogen plays a really big uh, role in determining how quickly you can lose weight and put on muscle. People don't realize that, right? It's not just about diet and fasting. Uh, It's about knowing how your hormones work. Uh, We look at diet nutrition. So what are the genes that are determining how well you metabolize fats and carbs? You know, very popular question we get, what diet should I be on? Should I be on keto? Should I be on paleo? Should I be plant-based? Right. And the reality to that question is everyone's diet, if we approach it correctly, is going to be unique and individual to them. It's not going to be, I'm a keto person or I'm a paleo person. Rather, you may draw on keto techniques. You may use paleo techniques. You may eat paleo meals once in a while. What we're trying to figure out is how do you eat according to your genes, meaning how do you keep eat according to the variations you have? Because, for example, if you are a person that metabolizes fats really well, but you have a poor insulin response, in other words, you don't know what to do with the sugars that, that are turned, you know, your fats turn into sugars, then you don't want to consider ketogenic diet because you could potentially have elevated blood sugars and cause diabetes on a ketogenic diet, right? So that kind of intelligent approach helps people say, hold on a second, I'm not just going to jump on Google and watch a video about ketogenic diet and then start following it. I'm going to look at my genes and pick the diet that works for me. And then the final system we look at is sleep. And that's a huge thing. I would say that the most popular questions we get is, how do I get better sleep? How do I have more energy when I'm awake? And what diet or fitness thing should I follow? Those are like the top three questions, right? Um, So we provide that information in an easy to understand way. So we don't overwhelm people with the data. And then the key thing is, okay, now that you've learned about your genes, right? So if these people were to go to their, you know, their family doctor or to look online, you know, and, and they were to type in their health concern, the four big recommendations are what? You need to eat better. You need to work out. You need to sleep better. And you need to stress less. But yeah, like I can go to Google, and, you know, I don't need to go anywhere or pay at any doctor for you to tell me that I could have done that. But how do I do that? Like, how do I physically actually start implementing that in my life and so you know when when you want to lose weight and someone tells you well you need to change your diet and start working out more that's level 10 like changing your diet and working out more for someone who hasn't done it in 40 years is not going to happen overnight and we recognize that so for example if we want to change your diet the first step we take is um you know harris i want you to write the every single thing you eat in a day Like, just that's all I want you to do for the next week. When you eat something, write it down. And then at the end of the week, we review that list. Hey, it looks like you eat Haagen-Dazs at 5 p.m. every day. Why is that? And you'll say, you know what? I eat it at 5 p.m. every day because when I come back from work, I'm so stressed out. And Haagen-Dazs is the only thing that calms my stress. Okay, now I've learned that the Haagen-Dazs you're eating that's causing you to gain weight is a coping mechanism for the stress you're experiencing. So let's get to the root cause. Why are you having stress? Well, I realized that at 4.30 PM, I have my daily meeting with my boss and that's stressful for me, right? Okay, great. Next week, what I want you to do, let's ask your boss if you can change that meeting to 9 AM in the morning, or you can do it at a different time, right? Or we can do something about that. But now we're addressing the root cause. So you see how... I wanted to lose weight and nothing has been changed about your diet yet. What we're doing is addressing the root cause. We know there's a source of stress that's causing you to eat Haagen-Dazs ice cream. And once we eliminate that source of stress, you won't need the Haagen-Dazs ice cream, right? And that's how we do it. It's that behavioral change that getting to the root cause and then building from the ground up. Cause what we want to do is build you a solid foundation that you don't need us for the rest of your life. Once you've built the foundation, You know, it's kind of like teaching someone how to ride the bikes, put on the training wheels, teach them how to ride the bike, take the training wheels off and they're on, they're off to the races.
0: Yeah, listen, that's the lots of words of wisdom in there and lots of sophistication, a lot of miles on the odometer to get to, to that kind of answer, which is I appreciate a lot. Uh, I love that idea in terms of, hey, listen, we understand as a company, as a provider, that this information is dense and overwhelming and we want it to be actionable and we could go so far deep into, into different areas, but we've decided to categorize it in six main things. So that that hits home for you. And then we want to actually assess your daily activity and your daily life and your dietary habits and what your triggers are so that we can understand that and then be able to make you understand that and have different ways that are little small changes over time that become habitual so that you're you're minimizing any tendencies that you have. Um, and, not, and, and maximize that are de- detrimental and, and maximize tendencies that you have that are supportive so that ultimately the baseline of what you're looking for to get out of this is achieved, right? And and where the other areas come in, that's where you have tempered or contingencies where, hey, we can also look into your mood and behavioral genes and see that you have this ADRA type tendency, which means that you may tend to ruminate more or have this addictive tendency. So you're going to be a little more trigger happy to begin with anyways, right? Or that's where... Having those, putting those, maybe speak to a little bit of that, then how you build on, now that we've given you these individual six sections, here's how some of the things overlap together, so that it's not just a matter of understanding, like, what are you doing on a daily basis, but also, Mrs. Jones, realize that when you go for that hagen because your boss is stressing you at a certain time, you also have this tendency to be more stressed and hold it longer as well. So how is that facilitated by, by the DNA company and your, yeah. your coaches?
1: Yeah, so we, we really, and that's, it's an important question because you know we, it's not that there's six systems that we address separately. Most of the gene pathways play a role across all six systems, right? So glutathione, for example, is an internal cellular process that's involved essentially in dealing with toxins. So toxin comes into your body, whatever it is, alcohol, drugs, smoke, mold, pollution, viral infection. So your body has to deal with that toxin and glutathione is your body's major antioxidant. And its job is to grab onto the toxin and shuttle it to the liver to produce it, to prepare for metabolism and excretion. So when someone has poor, detoxification, poor glutathionization activity because of their genes, that meaning they're not as effective or efficient in removing these toxins. There's so many places that plays an impact. If those toxins are in your bloodstream, now your risk of inflammation in your bloodstream is higher. So you can have vascular health concerns. Um, because you have so many toxin buildup in your body, you find yourself fatigued and tired and lacking energy. Even though you're sleeping, you're not getting enough energy. Um, you're also not dealing with estrogen toxins. So if you're a woman and you're having menstrual health concerns, or you're having, you know, endometriosis or something, these toxins are contributing to that. So if I address the root cause at the genetic level of detoxification, I'm going to see a marked improvement across several systems. My cardiovascular health will improve. My energy will improve. My sleep will improve. My hormone uh, management will improve. So That's the entire thing. What we do is we identify those root processes, work on those root processes, and then work with you to say accountable, you know, keep you accountable. Are you doing what we asked you to do? Are you avoiding these things? Are you so it's really that touch point that helps people know that they're not on their own. That's the big thing. We're not just giving you, you know, a death sentence and saying, figure it out. We're there with you every step of the way, kind of getting you on your feet, getting you walking. And then holding your head and making sure, hey, you're accountable. There's someone here that's following your health journey uh, for a period of time till you feel like you can do it on your own.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really great point in terms of the, there's so many relationships where if you're not turning on the the signal to signal the fire truck or the fire truck doesn't have wheels, then it's going to impact your cardiovascular risk, it's going to impact your ability to sleep, it's going to impact your neurotransmitter availability and depletion if they're oxidizing neurotransmitters because of the, the inflammation and I think it comes back down to at the end of the day, Inflammation, right? If we have too much inflammation higher than we're able to deal with it, that's where we have problems. And I think, again, as complex as it is, the things that I teach people, Harris, is, is that bottom line is you have a demand and supply problem. You do not have as much supply as your demand. And just like if I had that at the 30,000 view foot level, I'm not going to the South beach or i'm not going to the mediterranean in fact i may not even go out for dinner Um, i may just have to decide at some point do i keep the lights on or do i put food on the table and when that happens in at the cellular level that means okay like my autonomic nervous system takes a backseat or my ability to detox is is hampered or you know and then ultimately you start to go down that continuum of metabolic reserves being completely depleted to the point where the that person is really hurting and so one of the things maybe I was going to ask you is is that I know on the website it says like unlock your genetic potential for work play and and wellness um, optimization for for high performance people um, ultimately that is the goal but let me ask you as just sort of a cohort of the people that come to see you do they tend to be in the weak constitution, just really struggling, have been to a lot of different doctors and aren't getting answers, and they want new insights on, on the sophistication of their health? Or is it the athlete that is like, hey, I'm amazing, but I want to be even more amazing? Where where does it lie with the people that tend to get their testing with you guys?
1: Yeah, so I'd say the, the spectrum is actually very wide and broad, and there's and, and there's a beauty in that, in the sense that no matter where you are in your health journey, doing a intelligent functional genomics test always reveals something that you didn't know before, or maybe you had a hunch about and you didn't know what to do. So there's always valuable information that comes out of it. For the athlete, he learns how he can personalize his approach to fitness uh, you know, even more personalized. And so now he can start performing better, right? Like he learns that he needs to work out between 6 to 8 a.m. in the morning, or 5 to 7 p.m. in the evening so that his, he can take advantage of his natural testosterone buildup and achieve greater maxes or greater, you know, achieve better goals. So that's for the athlete. But to your point, we also see a lot of people who have these chronic complex health concerns through which we offer um, a potential root cause for it, right? So a lot of, for example, a big quarter of the people we see are, women who are approaching that perimenopausal menopausal stage and are starting to exhibit symptoms um, that, they, that their doctor for some reason can't understand, right? Symptoms that are often associated, for example, with Lyme disease. And so they think, well, you know what, maybe I have Lyme disease because the, of, often these women are spending time in cottages or, you know, somewhere right um, out in the wilderness. But what people don't realize is estrogen metabolites, a buildup of estrogen metabolites, those symptoms mimic the symptoms of Lyme, right? So so we've had this situation. We've done the largest Lyme disease study in Canada, over a 1,000 patients. We found that up to 15% of people were misdiagnosed with Lyme disease because of estrogen toxicity. So it doesn't really matter where you are on the spectrum of health and wellness. There is going to be a solution for you, and we're going to build that unique solution for you based on where you are. I can tell the athlete, you need to get rid of all of these foods to achieve. And he may do it because he's fully invested, but I'm not going to give that advice to a person who's never explored their health before, right? It's going to be a different conversation. And we understand that we don't give the same plain old advice to everyone. We personalize the approach, whether you're at, you know, you're, you're, no matter where you are on that health and wellness spectrum.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, too. I mean, it's great that you have the the athletes just as a practitioner of people that are exhausted and burnt out. I usually joke around like I wish I was the first guy at the party, but I'm usually the last guy. And that's where they're exhausted. They're frustrated. They have stacks and stacks of paperwork. They've spent tens of thousands of dollars and they're spinning their wheels. And that's why we do interviews like this, because they are misinformed in terms of, well, what's a genetic test going to do? It's they think of the one gene, I I have this or I have that. But as they listen to this interview, they understand that it's basically a combination of the environmental factors, your day to day activity levels, your genomics, your nutrition, and being able to customize a recovery strategy around that. And I always tell clients, too, because you're right, you touched on this earlier, it, it, it's very intimidating to understand your genetics and, you, you know, be waiting on the sidelines, like biting your nails, like, Oh, like, am I, do I have a lot of mutations? Do I have the risk and miss risk and that risk? And I always tell them, listen, Mrs. Jones, there's, there's no bad news today. There's only good news. We're being empowered. It doesn't serve us to be the the ostrich and put our head in the sands and just kind of hope and pray that, you know, a small problem doesn't, go by the universal law of physics and become a crisis if we don't address it right I mean if you have a, a small fire it's going to become a big fire if you don't extinguish it but the good news is is that we ha- we are empowered because now we can customize a recovery strategy around that so w- one of the things I would really be interested in in terms of the cohort or the people that we see that are exhausted and burnt out uh, one of the things I tell them is that at the end of the day, like cells, tissues, organs, systems all need to be able to work together to be able to coordinate a the cell danger response where we say like hey your your demand and supply is off we want to make sure that your body appropriately prioritizes the systems and then gets back on track but one of the main things at the fundamental level that all those cells tissues organs and systems have a challenge with is desynchronization or they're not in concert and i know it's a big area of investigation for the DNA company in terms of clock genes. So maybe talk a little bit about your insight, what you see and how you manage uh, the recommendations for when you see some of those challenges, which would make someone more likely to have a a higher impact of stress and fatigue, right? So maybe explain a little bit about
1: that. Yeah. So, uh, you know, when someone says, look, I'm, I'm feeling burnt out there could be a million different reasons for that, right? And our job with the genetics is to help hone in on what the individual stresses are in your life that's causing your problem. Like for some people, because of their genetics, financial troubles are not a problem. They don't stress about them. They just deal, they get sued left, right, and center. They're in debt sometimes, but because they're entrepreneurs, they know they're going to see themselves out of it. But what does stress them out is a relationship at home. Other times, it's the exact opposite. They're great family people. They've got no problems at home, but work stresses them out, right? So the stresses can be different. Um, How they approach coping with the stress can also be different. Some people, their escape is bungee jumping, skydiving, crazy extreme activities. For other people, their coping mechanism is a spa, right? They want to go to the spa, relax, and enjoy like a hot bath or something. These are all genetically driven outcomes, so what we try to do is when you say I'm burnt out and I have a lot of stress and I have this fatigue, we'll start by evaluating what the genetic, what the genes are saying. So are you a person that is more prone to anxiety? Are you a person that's more prone to PTSD? Are you a person that looks to food or smoking or some sort of addiction as a coping mechanism? These are important questions we ask because it's going to drive the recommendations we're going to provide you. Uh, Then we want to understand, okay, at the cellular level, beyond your mental relationship with stressors, are you a person that has a poor detoxification response, a poor methylation response, are your clock genes out of whack, are you is do you produce low levels of BDNF, these are questions we need to understand because I can't say well you need to sleep more, if you have trouble falling asleep in the first place right so. If your solution to reducing stress is you need to sleep more, but you have low BDNF, I need to tell you that, hey, when you go to when you get ready for bed, I need you to put your phone away for the next hour, right? An hour before you go to bed. I need you to read a book before you go to bed. I need you to go to the sauna before you go to bed, because I'm trying to address the low levels of BDNF that when you increase them, you'll be able to enter rested sleep. And when you enter rested sleep, that rested sleep is going to reduce your impact of stress. So that's, you can see how to address the stress problem, I've got to go three or four steps back and give you recommendations there, then work with you as we get to the stress problem. Right. Mm. Um, So the approach to everyone's burnt out or fatigue or stress is always individual and unique, and it will never be the same like change your diet change your supplements for some people maybe all they need is a supplement it's possible that all they need to do is take more L-theanine for example but in most cases it is a it's a multifaceted approach we have to address your lifestyle your environment your nutrition and potentially also introduce some supplements as necessary to support those outcomes
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. That's a great answer. So as far as that being said, though, with your clinicians and your data so far, do you see reoccurring hotspots, if you will, where even though everyone's unique and no two fingerprints are the same or snowflakes are the same, Like I see with with some of the algorithms that I do, if they have this particular profile, it doesn't mean they're doomed. It just means that if the perfect storm does ensue, like you'll see people you mentioned, Lyme. Um, or mold um, someone would fall apart in in a exposure to that whereas the other person would be sort of a carrier but not have the same challenges as it relates to stress harris have you seen on stress management and stress burnout whether it's they ruminate about the finances or they ruminate about their family life or either or are there consistent patterns that you're seeing with specific genes
1: yeah so uh, absolutely. We do see trends. Um, so there's a number of genes that are involved with stress management. The first obviously is your COMT, C-O-M-T, methyltransferase. The COM gene's job when it comes to mood and behavior is its management of dopamine, right? And dopamine is the pleasure neurotransmitter. And so when you have a slow version of your COM gene, meaning your COM gene produces an enzyme that doesn't work as fast, then dopamine tends to stay longer in your brain. And that can lead, when it's happiness, it leads to really powerful, happy response, pleasurable response. You're a person who sinks your teeth into things you enjoy. So if you really like cheesecake, boy, do you like cheesecake. And if you like business, boy, are you invested in your business? You really take what you enjoy to heart. But the flip side of it is, as you have high highs, you also have low lows, like your valleys are also pretty deep. And so when you get into a rut, you get really anxious about things and it's hard for you to come out of that rut. Cause you think about all the different hypothetical ways a conversation could have gone. You get really self-conscious. You worry a lot more. Um, so individuals with a slow comp generally tend to have that more anxious experience. And when you pair that now with your Adra2B, which I spoke at the beginning of this podcast, your noradrenaline management, Um, When you combine both of those things, you have a recipe for a person who's more likely to be in a a state of adrenal fatigue, like they're always firing at the emotional level, they're hypersensitive, they become attached to things and can't get them out of their head. Now, it's not all bad news. These people are also hyper aware of other people's emotions. So they're really good empaths, they can spot an angry face in the crowd, they know from your body language that something isn't right. And so they can be really helpful. So it's not all bad news, but if you know that you're a person who's more likely to get anxious and stressed about things, then at least you can plan your day so that you include things that make you happy after you do stressful tasks. So, For example, if you're a person that's easily stressed and financial matters stress you, maybe you do your bill payments right before you go on a holiday, just because you have something to look forward to. So you're like, if I deal with this stressful thing right now, then I go on my holiday and I don't have to stress about it. Like, that's a really effective way to help manage your stress rather than I'm going to do my bills when I come back from holiday. No, 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 no. Don't do that because you're also going to be missing your holidays and you're going to be upset about not having. And now you got to deal with this stressful thing. So even though it may feel uncomfortable, we say, listen, you got to do this because you're going to feel you're going to thank yourself at the end. Do the bill payments before you go on holidays versus after you come back from holidays. Um, so, yes, we do see trends. And then we help build recommendations for those kind of prototypes or phenotypes that people have based on their genotypes.
0: Yeah, I know. That's, that's really, really great. And, you know, so it's interesting, too, because you talked about tempered or contingencies. So one of the things that I see, especially with my people that are exhausted and burnt out specifically, that again, like we said, demand and supply, too much inflammation, um, oxidation, um, something called NADPH depletion. Um, and when they have those upregulations of the NADPH depletion or mast cell activation or too much excitatory things going on, and you're depleting that NADPH, you're not able to recycle your biopterin. and bioptrin is an important cofactor to make that dopamine. So then you kind of have this contingency where, okay, it hangs around longer. It's actually, you think about, this is where I've gone to as Harris, as I think about that was at one time biologically evolutionarily favorable, right? For procreation, like warrior genes, right? Like if you are in a time of famine or feast or just you have very little supply of things and, and and life was rough back then in terms of we didn't have these creature comforts um, or there was a food shortage those things are gonna serve you better because you keep that neurotransmitter a lot longer in the in the in the in the synapse right so you're gonna you're gonna procreate but now given that we have all of these environmental triggers that I don't think our creator kind of took into consideration when our, when we were evolving, it will deplete the things that help make it to keep it around longer. And now it could be actually evolutionarily not favorable because of the environmental things. But at the end of the day, there's so much minutia of in terms of this makes that, but if that hangs out longer and then that's not being made at the end of the day, that's where being the clinician and asking the person like, and that's what i love about what you guys are doing is it's not we're just learning here we're applying and that means like we're not telling you about just your slow comp and to take um something to to clear like something to clear it out a little bit quicker but we're, we're telling you like hey do this activity so that you don't actually engage in in that gene to be relevant in the first place but um as far as have you seen some of those connections about like evolutionarily like hey why would this continue to be passed on and now it's not as favorable like do you have you made any of those connections as well
1: yeah so i mean not necessarily um, from the uh, from the stress perspective but a great example of what you're talking about uh are your vitamin d genes right so for example i come from my ancestors come from the um like from the um, Middle East slash Southeast Asian uh, area, right? So I'm I'm originally from Pakistan, and Pakistan is located near the equator. Uh, my ancestors had access to the sun 365 days of the year, 12 hours a day. Like it's, you know what I mean? Like you always had access to the sun. Now, vitamin D uh, is actually toxic uh, for you in high levels, right? Like you can get vitamin D toxicity. So our ancestors because they were out in the sun all the time, they had ample access to the vitamin D that came from the sun, which was inactive. And when they needed to convert it, you actually use an enzyme that's controlled by a gene CYP2R1 that converts inactive vitamin D from the sun, D2, into D3, which is the active version. Because my ancestors spent all their time outside, they didn't need to produce a lot of vitamin D because they always had access to it. Now, take me, who then immigrates from where my ancestors lived and moves to Toronto, Canada, where six months out of the year, there's no sun. (laughs) There's sun maybe four or five hours a day. Don't remind me. I don't don't live there anymore. So I'm glad to know that. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You're close to the equator. So it's not as bad for you. But for me now here in Toronto, from November, when daylight savings time happens to like March or April, I barely have access to the sun. And on top of that, I'm spending eight hours a day inside a room, like working in an office. So I'm going to have, you know, my genes don't recognize that and then convert in my body to become faster. That's not how genes work. That's not how population genetics work. Population genes tr- change over time uh, through generations. It may take two, three, or four generations before those genes start to change, right? Because you have an m- increased predisposition. So for a person like me, the standard daily recommended dosage of vitamin D is not going to work for me as it is going to work for someone whose ancestry is in Canada. Like they've been here. They've got a faster version. Me, I've got to take more vitamin D than the average person. Right? So that's an example of population genetics, where your ancestors come from and then where you move can have a huge impact on the recommendations you need to follow, but you can't expect your genes to change. It's not going to happen that way. You got to address those genes. Uh, So that's one example is the vitamin D one. Yeah, Yeah, that's a great
0: example. And as I go deeper down that rabbit hole too, I think it's a shame that just as an aside, we're not testing the active form in 125. And I also think that it's a shame that we don't recognize, and I know DNA company does it, but the, the receptor for not just the VDR receptor, but that's also based on uh, retinoids and, and vitamin A. And that also, I know you do the BCMO. So that helps us understand, Hey, how well do we convert beta carotene into vitamin A? But I've learned now that too much synthetic vitamin D, will block the absorption of vitamin A and if you're not getting vitamin A to be able to help with the receptors for vitamin D to get into the cell it can be a a -a whack-a-mole problem so that's one of those things where I sacred cows in my just in my world is I have to rethink about prescribing vitamin D if we're not understanding a like you said their their phenotype and their genotype of of their of their particular potentials right because that's what, what they are they're not diagnoses like you said their potentials a greater potential for this to happen but at the same time i need to also understand the other mechanics that are involved to be able to and test appropriately, like not just 25, but 125. Um, I don't know. I mean, is that is that something that you're aware of? Or is that just sort of more new to you? Or where, where do you stand on that?
1: Yeah, so I, it is definitely something that we've just started to see as well, is that, again, it comes down to, you know, we know vitamin D is a concern for you. But again, we can't look at it in a, in a, you know, in in, in a silo, right? So Let's see what the effect of giving too much vitamin D is going to do on the rest of your body, right? So exactly to your incredible point is, is there a possibility that when I change, because remember, people aren't doing this. So if you've never been taking vitamin D, and all of a sudden you start taking 5000 IU of vitamin D, 10,000 IU of vitamin D under the guidance of a practitioner, you're going to see a lot of unexpected changes in your body, one of which might be the impact of vitamin A, one of which might be, um, you know, poor sleep, because you're taking it the wrong time, like there could be different things happening. So as always, we always say, okay, here are our recommendations, but absolutely treat it as a functional approach. Start slow, increase your dosage, note any changes, discuss it with your practitioner, speak to your clinician, speak to one of our coaches, and let's twinker and tweak things, as we move along and don't expect that one day you're just going to do all the things and it's going to change your life. It's a gradual approach. Um, So just to your point, obviously, you know, we test the BCM01 gene, uh, retinol conversion, to uh, beta carotene conversion to retinol. And we stress that, listen, for example, if you're a person who follows a plant-based or vegan diet, All the beta carotene in the world isn't going to be effective. Like you're going to turn orange because of your carrot and pumpkin consumption, but you're not getting the retinol you need. So you do need to consider an animal source of vitamin A, whether it's synthetic or it's algal based, or it's, you know, you've cultured it, whatever it is, but you need that activated form because your body itself cannot do what it needs to do. And vitamin A is an extremely important vitamin that you shouldn't just ignore it. Uh, So it's a great point.
0: Yeah, you know, it just came in my head right now, excuse the pun, but I feel like vitamin A is like the redheaded stepchild, you know, it doesn't get the due diligence that it needs. Um, But yeah, for sure. That's a great point, especially for vegans, like, hey, you have this BCMO that you this is one of those instances where your dietary choice needs to be reconsidered, like you don't have to change it. But realize that because of this specific gene, it's going to impact so many things downstream that you have to consider getting that information alone would be worth the test, you know, to to be able to do that. So as far as the 360 report card did, did you? I mean, you kind of touched on it already. I mean, basically, it's a the option is to be able to just do a one-off gene test and be able to get sort of a report card. And then another option is to be able to do more of a concierge type. Hey, we'll hold your hand and get you through the the um, to the end zone, so to speak. W- what is the report card consist of? Just in
1: terms, is it sort of what we've already talked about? Yeah, so in in most cases, each system has its own kind of grading. So what you'll understand as you go through each system is we'll kind of assign kind of where you stand in the spectrum, right? So with mood and behavior, it might be, listen, you're more likely to be like this, 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 this. For something like sleep, we may give you a sleep grade, like you've got a sleep grade of C or D, and here's the things you need to focus on. Uh, So the reports are designed to give you kind of um, a summary, like this is where you are, right? And they do have their recommendations, but we offer the opportunity for you to say, okay, what's the next step? If I want to change this and I'm ready to invest in my health and wellness, we offer a number of different approaches. You can do a digital consultation experience where you get to listen to a personalized podcast that has all of your genes and the gene versions you have explained to you in a really easy to understand manner. We have a lot of behavioral change videos that teach you how to enact and incorporate behavioral change habits into your life. Uh, But even if you want a one-to-one experience with a live coach, we have that opportunity as well. Um, You know, we work with obviously partners like yourself. Your patients can come to you. You're fully trained in this experience. You can hold their hands and walk them through that. Uh, So really, we have the entire gamut. And it comes down to how invested are you in your health and wellness and how much support would you like? And we provide you that support at any level you'd like.
0: Yeah no that's great and i like the 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 aspect of the podcast where they can basically you've gone the work of explaining each and every gene so that they can kind of is that more like a, a done for you like or done for yourself kind of thing where is is was is, is, is that basically how that is
1: yeah so it's it's like so we test like you know 60 odd variations uh so you get a podcast that gives you the result that you have so for example it would be like you know, Joel, you have the AA version of your COM gene. Here's what that means. It means fundamentally that your COM gene produces a slower version of the enzyme. And then here's where that impact can be felt in your mood and behavior. They're going to be more like this in hormones. It's going to affect you more like this. Right. And then we also say, listen, you need to listen to the next gene to find out what that version is so you can understand the fuller picture. So it's really like people who want to get a deep dive of their genetics and understand what do these genes mean? Like, how are they actually impacting my health? We, we've created an entire personalized podcast that's based on your results that they can listen to at their own time.
0: Got you. And then, so with the step back from
1: that, just be the actual report, here you go kind of thing. Is there yeah. that level as well? Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. And for those people who just want the report and just need the guidance, we have that too. If they want to dive deep, they can dive as deep as they'd like. They can jump in the shallow end and they can go right into the deep end. We've got it all for them.
0: Right. And then just sort of evolving from there, which is sort of I think right at the principal, you know, the the beginning form of of where it can take us is, is just sort of the customizable nutritional recommendations, right? So and and I used to kind of think like I I, I I want to know who is the person who, or the company or the algorithm that's doing this versus, because I I had a a call, a friend of mine, she works in a, in a, one of those MLM companies, which, which is fine. Like, um, and she said, we have these DNA supplements that are specific for your genes. And I was r- r- like, like knowing as much as we've known here and talked about, and I know they were not as deep as what we, if, if they're not the DNA company or some other companies I know, Like, how are they coming up with that and how naive it's almost back down to the full circle of what we talked about earlier in terms of, hey, let's just take this for that gene and it it blocks it and we don't have to worry about anything else. Mm -hmm. Um, But with that being said, there is the whole 180 of we do do specialized nutrient combinations so we can maximize so we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater and say, hey, that's not even possible. Um, We know it is possible because we're also looking at these behavioral changes and implementations and understanding your tendencies and making sure that when the boss interviews you at 430 you're not activating the the, you know the the response in the first place or you have other methodologies to, to change to not allow it to create that domino effect but with that being said what is the approach with the customizable nutrition now and how does that play in?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, when it comes specifically to supplementation, our approach can be summarized as intelligently designed as necessary when necessary. Right. And that's an important point. You know, one of the things we always tell people is listen, for example, when it comes to women, don't take the birth control pill every day, right? Cause you're going to be messing up with your hormones. But if you want to manage someone's hormone production, and you give them uh, supplements that slow down their estrogen metabolism, you're doing effectively the same thing that the estrogen pill is doing, right? As a woman, I should not be taking estrogen management supplements every day of the month, because my estrogen levels shift throughout the month, they go through a high peak, then they come down. If I'm not producing enough estrogens when I need my estrogens to be high, I'm going to cause a lot of problems in my health and wellness. So there are days where I'm not going to take my estrogen management supplements. And that's the whole point. It has to be an intelligent approach. And it's as necessary when necessary. We don't believe you need to be on supplements for the rest of your life. But what we do believe is that when you take them intelligently, you are going to have an advantage. Like you are going to be able to take advantage of The benefit of these supplements. They can be effective if you take them intelligently. If you're just like downing 15, 17, 20 pills, hoping that they're doing something like slowing down your genes, that's not an effective approach. In fact, that's a dangerous approach. You could actually be harming yourself. And remember, supplements like prescription drugs still need to be metabolized by the liver. Like you're still putting effort and impact and stress on your liver to metabolize these supplements. So we do what we did is we looked at the genetic uh, systems, and we created support formulations. And then we recognize that these formulations are taken on a necessity basis, like on a, on a necessary need basis, right. Um, so the formulations are designed for mitochondrial support for detoxification for sleep. But Most people take them under periods of stress. So, for example, if someone knows that they're going to be traveling or they're going to be preparing for a triathlon, for example, they're going to take higher doses of their mitochondrial support to increase energy. But when they're in rest mode, like when they're not training, they don't need to take it. Don't feel like you need to take it all the time. So our approach is intelligently designed on an as needed, when needed basis.
0: Yeah, that's really awesome. And I think that's something I hope to see more practitioners, especially in the holistic approach. I mean, I don't think you'll ever see it in the um, in the pharmaceutical approach, although I do feel like there are some applications like through biohacking that that people do where you can do that. But as for advocating for nutritionally, I look at it as sort of that Goldilocks bell-shaped curve, right? You don't ever want to be in the valley on either side of too little or too much. And sometimes people have a really slow or short standard deviation where. They assume more is better and more isn't better more can get you in the valley of too much right so I I explain to people it's hard to understand this but hey when you feel really good don't take the supplement that's pretty easy information I was like well, what do you mean it made me feel good why not take more well because there's this bell shaped curve if you take too much now you're in the valley of too much and you you're not utilizing it so I like that saying is designed as necessary when necessary is is really great but I think there comes with an education about that right in in terms of because so many people are like you you know have that Santa Claus Santa Claus bag of supplements right before you even see them and at this point they don't know their butt from their elbow right and they don't know if this one's working or that one's not working so I guess how, how have you overcome that obstacle of your clinicians and the the DNA company in terms of hey we understand it's as necessary when necessary you know by design um but h- how do you actually get them to understand when necessary or when not just when they're stressed or h- how does that get impact you know yeah i guess recommended
1: yeah, yeah and it, it comes down to what system we're addressing right so to your exact point sometimes people need sort of an adrenal support product they don't need to take that when they're calm like when they're on holidays don't take it because you don't need it right because what happens is you, you build Uh, and a a reliance upon it, like it becomes a crutch for you. And that's, that's no difference than any other drug. Uh, You know, we don't, these supplements are not supposed to be taken like opioids. Um, But when you're under periods of significant stress, there's a deadline coming, maybe you're getting married, maybe you're, you're moving, or you're, you're paying, you know, you're dealing with some with closing of a house or a mortgage, you may need that support, you may need a little bit more than you can get, like, you don't have time to, go to meditation class or yoga, you just need something that can support you. So in that case, we may recommend that take deep calm during periods of stress, increased stress. Other products like the estrogen management products will tell them, listen, as a woman in her menstrual years, you need to take two pills on day one to seven of your cycle, one pill on day seven to 14, and then nothing for the next five days, then restart the cycle, right? So it'll depend on the ingredient, we're rec- the supplement recommending, and the system we're trying to address. But when we do give those instructions, they'll come from our clinician and say, this is exactly how you need to do it. And we give them the reasons why. You need to do this because you don't need it every day because it could harm you or it's not going to be beneficial for you. So we really hold their hand and help them understand why before we make the recommendations
0: yeah that's great, and just sort of with that specific example, just like sort of to ask you from a clinical standpoint, so with the estrogen management, the two one zero it's more thought of in terms of as the men season ensues, that's where you're starting to have that rise of estrogen, so we want to make sure we're supporting clearance and and so forth and then by the time it peaks, we're down to one, and then the rest of the cycle we it's already on the descent anyway, so we don't need to
1: take it that's basically. Basically the mindset around that. Yeah. Yeah. You see, you don't want, you want to, so if you're estrogen dominant and your job, all you're trying to do is say, okay, because I'm producing a lot of estrogens, I want to mitigate the percentage of my estrogens that are being converted into those toxic metabolites, like the 4-hydroxy, 16-alpha-hydroxy estrogen, right? So ingredients like calcium D, glucarate, DIM, I3C, sulforaphane, these are effective. But when I'm producing low levels of estrogen, I don't want to take estrogen blockers because that's going to reduce my estrogen levels even further and that's not healthy either. You need to understand how increased levels of estrogens can be mitigated without trying to lower them too much. So you because your estrogen levels on day 7 are not the same as on day 20, you don't need to take the same dosage because your estrogen levels are at different levels. That's that's the approach that we have, right? Uh, so from a clinical perspective, our clinicians work and say identify during this period, take two pills. During this period, take one pill. During this period, take nothing, and then restart the cycle. Uh, so we give that that guidance.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, just as I would think potentially, have you flip flop maybe because again, within the women as well, like because their their cycle shifted to the left or to the right as well, or it goes down, and it's not just linear textbook, you know, zero to fourteen. And yeah. but I would think though, just thinking off the top of my head, that potentially seven to 14 would be two would be one, two, and then zero, but you found it to be more effective to be two, one, zero kind of thing. No, no,
1: no. I'm just, I'm giving you an example, but I see. I gotcha. Yeah. 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 The actual clinical dosage that our clinicians know, right. Uh, All I'm saying is that the, the dosage shifts depending on what day of the cycle you're on. And keep in mind, like you mentioned, because there are a few days to the left few days to the right, a woman almost instantly feels the impact of estrogen management supplements within the first two days, if it's off. So we'll get, sometimes we'll get our clients, you know what? I've started my period three days early or four days early. And our clinicians will say, okay, so then I want you to shift your dosage. So instead of taking it for two, you know, two pills for the next two weeks, I want you to take it for, you know, the next right. five days then stop. Right. Yeah. So we will, we will give them that guidance and they, you know, we work with them in that manner.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's key. I mean, you think that, hey, like it's textbook, but, you know, Mrs. Smith is her own person. And that's where we need to discuss, Okay, your genetics are this your symptoms are here. Let's, let's, let's tweak it a little bit here or there. So that's, that's awesome. I love that. So one of the questions I always ask, and I'm sorry, I didn't give you the heads up on this, but um, cause I forgot it before we were talking off camera, but um, one of the questions is, Hey, knowing what you know now versus what you didn't know in your sort of your bright eyed and bushy tailed years about stress management, about these if you will, biohacks, and you and I kind of joked around in terms of, hey, like, this is the ultimate biohack. Like, I I understand biohackers want to increase their their performance, um, but it's kind of like the medical approach of take this pill and expect it to be a magic wand and fix everything, whereas we're getting into the nitty gritty and really explaining how it works and how to apply it, which is great. But with that all being said, and now with your sage like wisdom, what would be advices to the young, bright eyed, and bushy tailed Harris in terms of how you could have avoided, or sped up, or accelerated your health, or your stress response, or ultimately your vitality that you know now that you didn't know then?
1: Yeah, I think the most important thing is, you know, we always get caught up with what we see in media, right? So as a you know, from my own personal genetics, having studied them, I learned when I looked at my genetics, that I was um, more of an estrogenized male, right? So that that didn't mean that I was more effeminate or anything like that. It just meant that my production of testosterone was lower than the average males. And so I would look, you know, when I was younger, I would like look at Instagram or TV, and I'd see all these guys buff. And I would say, you know, no matter what I do, I can't get there. But once I learned about my genetics, I realized that even when I put on strength and I put on muscle and I can lift heavier weights, I'm not going to look like an Arnold Schwarzenegger. That's not going to happen. Right. And let's put the steroids aside, but I'm never going to get that cut defined, you know, male model look because my body isn't built that way. And that's okay. Because the key is I want to put on more strength, whether or not I look good doesn't really matter. It's the strength that matters. And so that shift, that mind shift actually helped reduce a lot of the stress and cortisol production, right? Which was impacting my goals. So when I became less stressed about looking a certain way and having those defined features, I actually started putting on more muscle fast because that stress and the cortisol production was actually being a block to what I was trying to achieve. Um, So the advice I have for anyone who's looking to change their health and wellness or improve it is start with something that you can trust and is objective. And there's nothing better than looking at your DNA because that's unique individual to you. And then always seek out intelligent Uh, clinical advice, right? Like your your clinicians who are trained in this are your best source of advice because they have that approach and they're aware of things that you as a consumer or lay person may not be. So don't go and start off a ketogenic diet on yourself. Make sure that you're talking to your clinicians and they're in the loop because they can give you guidance that can actually help you achieve your goals faster while reducing any risk associated with some of the decisions you make.
0: Yeah, you know, I got to tell you, Harris, it's probably one of the best answers I've had because it kind of sums up everything we talked about in in terms of the reasons why to have a functional genomic interpretation, right? Because we need to have a paradigm shift. Of what's possible in our body. It's not just a one size fits all, and you read a magazine, and I was the guy that would read those magazines and, you know, want to look like that. But if I never did, I'm spinning my wheels and I'm frustrated, and I'm doing lots of different things mentally and physically to get there that are outside of the too much in the valley of you know, too much kind of thing. And that is very stress inducing. And that can cause a domino effect that cause the, the gene potential that I have to be ex, ex, exaggerated and and make more problems. And, and, but now to have the insight to know, okay, I I kind of need to redefine based on what's going on to me individually. And that is like, Cutting away the anchors of of the burden of not getting there, and saying, "Hey, like I can maximize." And and like the irony is, is that when you let go of that, that's when you had the best results, and it wasn't by accident. So that's probably one of the best answers. Just as a as an aside for me, one of my tendencies, which I had no idea about, is we look at like inflammation um, and my ability to you know signal the firefighters, let alone ha- having the uh, the wheels to get there. Um, is a big challenge for me, but on top of that, as you know, inflammation will typically inhibit certain other enzymes, and one of the enzymes that I have major inhibition with or delayed with is the GAD enzyme, which helps to convert glutamate into GABA, And on top of that, cofactors for that is magnesium, which if you're under stress, you're going to be depleted with. And then another cofactor for that is ATP. So if you're under stress and your body's not producing ATP because of mitochondrial issues and you're inflamed and you have that tendency you'll be an anxious guy. Like, and I was an anxious guy. It was like, you know, sweaty palms before a track meet, not wanting to get off the bus. Cause I just had like overwhelming anxiety before the start of the race or an exam or speaking in public. And then once you learn, Hey, that's my tendency. Um, I need to a control inflammation and support, you know, my ATP production, but I also am empowered to know, like, okay like slow your roll like you know get your breathing down and understand your tendency because this is this is kind of how it expresses was super super empowering right so i would encourage everyone else like you just said to understand their phenotype and their genotype to know how to design their behavioral habits and all like you could be the Dalai Lama and think and do as much as you want, but if you don't get into the biochemistry and under and address those things too, the two have to work together. So awesome interview! Any any other pieces of wisdom or pearls you want to share at this time?
1: Uh, I think we went through a lot of them. I think that's going to be really hopefully your, your 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 listeners are going to appreciate. You know, just this is just scratching the surface. Like I said, like when you jump into your own results, like. You know, I've done, my test was done pretty much coming now to five years ago, right? I did my test like five years ago. And even to this day, I continue to learn new insights about my genes, just new things like, oh, I didn't even realize that this was working this way. And, I, you know, when we look at newer genes, I got my genes tested again and said, oh, wow, I didn't have an idea about this, this insight. And then you start implementing those changes and some of those changes you see within days, you're like, holy crap, I changed this. And within days, I could see that improvement. So, you know, I would say that it's a super exciting journey when you're when your listeners, you know, anyone who decides to jump on this program, it's just it's going to it's going to cause that paradigm shift you've been looking for your entire life when it comes to improving your health and wellness. So I look forward to working with anyone who's listening to this and is ready to take that that dive.
0: Yeah, it's interesting you say that, because I even say to some of the clients that I've done interpretations for, like, if I've done an interpretation for you longer than six months ago, we should reopen up the the Pandora's box and look at what's new, because knowledge is just accelerating at light speed of how we understand. And I always say you get these little shades of gray with a different hue to now add so much more information and connect a lot of the dots that are implementable that we didn't know before, and it's constant changing and it's it is a we've always said like health is a verb it's not a noun you know so that's awesome listen i i really enjoyed this conversation I, I hope uh our listeners get a lot of value out of this we will have some links to learn how they can go about getting their own dna and and looking at all the different options of interpretations and working with providers so I just want to thank you for spending your time with me today, Harris, and I look forward to part two, say six months down the road when we have all these new, um, you know, RSID genes that weren't really on the radar that, uh, and just as a last thing, do you, does the DNA company use the NIH RSID significant genes that have been in researched? Uh, is that how you put together your profiles for for adding new um, gene SNPs to your
1: report cards? Yes, exactly. So that's the exact approach. We only we hand pick or hand select those functional SNPs uh, for which we can see a clear, uh, repeatable clinical impact. Right. So we're not picking a SNP that has one animal study on a rat that was done 20 years ago. No, it needs to be repeatable. We need to be able to see that function. It's clinically verifiable. So yes, exactly. We, we have a very stringent and complex, comprehensive approach to identifying the SNPs that we study. That being said, we're probably on pace for our largest introduction of SNPs since we've started the company uh, happening in the next six months. We're looking to add close to 400 more SNPs, Uh, That we're currently reviewing and ensuring that they all meet the specific criteria we have. So there's a lot of exciting things uh, that people can look forward to.
0: And those will keep the same six categories, or will you add different categories? They will be yeah, we're definitely
1: yeah, we're going to be adding a lot more new reports. So the six categories will be there, but we're going to be introducing new reports like longevity, female hormone health, male hormone health, child development, career development. It's going to be an exciting time. Like you're going to have access. To all of these different reports so it's gonna be pretty cool that's awesome and then
0: just as a last thing would that person who did the report with the other gene chip need to get a new gene chip to be able to have the new report
1: so the beauty is where what we do is if we have new genes we're able to conduct studies on your saliva If you so choose to without having to collect a new saliva sample. So we store genomic data, but not for the purpose of data selling. It's for this exact purpose so that when we introduce new genes, you can study those genes. Now, the data is stored anonymized. No one has access to it except for us. And we will never ever sell your genomic data. we're not in that, yeah, business.
0: well, yeah, that's two important points is number one that like I, that's awesome to know that to be able to know hey we we have it there, so we can just run your sample and look at the new version that we have, so we don't have to submit that and then number two, which is very very common in in who when I come across with is, oh like you're going to sell the data to China and this, that, and the other. And even if that were the case, I, I, I don't know, maybe you and I can brain trust. Like how would we be able to do anything with that anyways? I don't even like what would be, right. It's it's,
1: it's this, it's this, it's this false dichotomy. Look, the people who complain about, Oh, someone's going to get access to my data. Are the same people that have an iphone they have a gmail account they have a facebook account they have a whatsapp account if anyone wanted to find out any information about you they've already found it out there's nothing genetic data association based genetic data can tell you that someone doesn't already know and it's not even usable for insurance purposes so there's literally no use to your genomic data but people are concerned because it's their genomic data and that's why we promise them regardless We will never sell genomic data. It's not in our business plan.
0: Yeah. Well, that's, those are again more important points, but I like that it's like the vegan with leather shoes, right? It's the, it's the, um, but at the same time, it's like, it's not like these like really sinister people are in these labs and figuring out how to like, you know, adulterate these genes and it just doesn't work like that, but at the end of the day you're right people want to know my genes are protected by being sold to other people and that's not happening and the DNA company is in their business model to not do that whatsoever. Um, so people can rest assured that this is completely private and stored and and completely um, secure when you're getting the information. And at the end of the day, it becomes down to, like you said, is how bad are you suffering? Like, you know, if you're suffering so bad and the ends justify the means, you got to do whatever it takes. We got one life to go around here and we need to maximize our quality in the little time that we have. Um, those people probably have a lot of anxiety genes that they need to
1: understand about, right? To be able to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly To your point. Look, we're, we're in the business of helping people achieve a better version of themselves. We're not you know, trying to capture their data and run away. Maybe some other big companies are. Literally all the data we collect gets fed into machine learning algorithms, which then innovates our approach to healthcare. It just makes it better so your data is anonymized and then it's used to improve the access and approach to healthcare that leads to better outcomes i can't think of a better way of contributing to the advancement of healthcare than to do it in this manner like we're you know, we're not big pharma we're not you know anything that you need to worry about we're here literally helping people achieve a better version of themselves without having to take drugs without having to rely on different mechanisms just doing things in a more intelligent functional individual way so Um, But if anyone wants is, is still concerned, like I said, we do not sell genomic data, and we anonymize all data as it's received. Yeah,
0: and it's encouraging, right? Because, like, I'm from Canada, and I moved to the US and I had a lot of friends that like, poo-poo it and and you know and i said like it's the best of the best and the worst of the worst that's how i feel here um but in general with healthcare and with what's going on in the world and just crazy times that we live in it can be daunting in terms of like the sky is falling and like we're really past that point of no return and we're getting really worse and worse and worse but then when you have machine computerized learning of genomics and how we can maximize our health potential it, it it's the best of the best it's the the ability to really you know have a high quality of life and avoid uh, a life of chronicity and 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 debility and and so forth so listen I appreciate I could talk to you forever um I I have enjoyed our conversation I'd love to be able to do a part two seriously down the line when when new insights are coming with the longevity and the female and the male stuff to give our listeners some some new tools to empower them but until then Harris I, I I wish you a an amazing new
1: year and for you personally and your family and for your company as well. Thank you so much. I appreciate being on the call, Dr. Rosen. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. Look forward to chatting again in the future.
0: Hi, thank you so much for watching our Age Reversing Blueprint podcast. If you've made it this far, we sincerely thank you for your attention and your interest in reversing your age. If you're looking to get more information on today's topic or other podcasts that we've had. Be sure to check out the show notes and be sure to check out drjoelrosen.com. Have an awesome day.